It's one of the most emphatic, direct, eye-opening, and heart-stopping scriptures in the entire Bible. It's found in the prophet Ezekiel's writing, chapter 18 and verse 4. It says this, Behold, all souls are mine, and the Lord begins to speak and declare through the prophet. And he says, As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And if we're not careful, we could, and perhaps for a time of reflection and repentance, we should get lost in the reality of that verse. That without exception, God places the extent of wrongdoing right there within our observation and requires us to be reminded about what happens to souls that sin. I'm sorry for not starting out on a high note, but we'll get there, I hope, with the help of the Holy Ghost. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And we're caused to pause because we know the reach of sin. We know the universality of sin. We know that in God's eyes, there's no grades on sin. The simplest, tiny, little white lie will cause you to die the sinner's eternal death, right along with the most heinous wrongdoing of people in society. The Bible tells us from the beginning until the end, Revelation 21, verse 8, that we're going to find murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars to have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. The soul that sinneth shall die. The law, it reaches forward and it reaches back. We find that in the book of Revelation, but from the very beginning we find the same sentiment and the same message carried. It's there in Scripture. If you just take a moment to look for it, you'll find it. The first commandment in Genesis chapter 2 carried the sentence of death, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin. James 1, 15, sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Romans 6, it states, for the wages of sin is death. You want to know why we preach against sin? Because we don't want souls to die. Do you want to know why we're determined to declare sin as sin? It's because we don't want souls to die. Do you want to know what drives us to take a beautiful Sunday, spring Sunday morning, and pause to remind somebody about the effect of sin? It's because we don't want souls to die. Just mark it down. I, you know, we, we preach a, a Christ that came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. But we have to remind ourselves that on the flip side of that coin, it's sin that brings us to death. And the requirement that we have sometimes to pause and reflect on that verse is because we all face issues with sin. It's through the prophet Ezekiel that God is emphatic about two things. The liability of sin carries the sentence of death. But God, in his great grace, also includes the limitation of sin. Ezekiel 18 and verse 2, what mean ye? If you'll back up from our text for a moment, you'll find that God was actually addressing a common understanding that was a misunderstanding in Israel. He said, what mean ye when you use this Proverbs concerning the land of Israel, saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? 
And since we all are a little rusty on King James, since we're living in 2022, let me try and give you the best paraphrase that I read. It says, what do you people mean by going around the country repeating the saying, the parents ate green apples and the children got the stomach ache? I, I don't know if any of you ever ate green apples before or not. Did anybody have a grandmother that said, don't eat them apples? Those, here, I'll say it. I'll say it how my grandmother used to say it. They aren't ripe yet. If you eat them, something's going to stir. And guess what we did? Exactly. We ate them. We pulled them off the tree. We got the salt shaker off the back of the stove. Gave him a good dose of that, and that, you know, that when your lips go right up over your gums. We were far from the candy store, and we didn't probably have money for candy anyway, so that was the closest thing we could come to. Green apples. Them unripe apples would make you pay, but God was reminding Israel that if the parents ate the green apples, the children weren't the ones that got the stomach ache. The parents were the one that got the stomach ache. In other words, God was saying that if you sin, you are responsible for the sin that you commit. The sin that is in your life rests, the responsibility rests with you. And God was using this verse to remind Israel. And, and sometimes we read our text and we say, wow, uh, that, 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 that's pretty emphatic but God was saying that the soul that sins it shall die he was putting a limitation on sin he was saying that sin couldn't reach down through and, and I know that that we can look at scripture and we can say that the sins of the father are visited on the following generations and and some people uh, they, they determine that to be generational curses but but here's what I do know in New Testament terminology is that he that's in Christ is a new creature old things are passed away and everything becomes new so I don't know if you think that you still have to live under the sin of the past generation I just came to remind somebody that you get to stand in the grace of God on your own this morning you get to to stand under the flow where God's presence and power moves in this place all by yourself. You don't, you aren't limited or restricted by something that happened in your past or someone that, that, that committed a sin in generations gone by. You get to stand before God all by yourself. We get to live in the hope. I, I'm so thankful. I mean, I got enough to deal with just dealing with Jack alone. And I'm sure I heard an amen somewhere the sound of a chuckle this morning but as the scripture goes on God was saying as I live ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel you're not going to be able to say that any longer he said this in verse 4 behold all souls are mine as the soul of the father so also the soul of the son is more mine and so every soul man woman and child God was saying belongs to me parent and child alike and he said, you die for your own sin and not another. So I, I don't know who, who just breathed a little sigh of relief this morning, but, but you're not under the auspices of what's happened in the past. You're, you're not under the problems of the past this morning. The sin that you have to deal with is limited to the sin in your life. The sin in your life. And before 
we're so quick to just focus in on sin. Could we back up a little bit in that verse this morning? Because the scripture said, behold, all souls are mine. So before we get focused on the end of sin, we, could we pause for a moment and look at the beginning of this? Because sometimes we're all so quick to remind ourselves of who we are. We are sinners. We all have sinned and we all have come short of the glory of God. But before all of that, God laid his claim on our lives. God, before he ever said you were a sinner, he said you're mine. God, before he ever declared your wrongdoing, he said, but you're mine. You're my child. Before, before sin ever laid its claim on your life, Jesus wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. That's, that's the promise that we have today is that, that God has this hope available for us, that we don't have to live under the sin and the wrongdoing of the past. And when you were certain that your wrongdoing wrote you off, when you had no hope of hope, God said, all souls are mine. When you were certain that your sin was fatal and final, God said, let, let me just preface this. All souls are mine. They're mine. They're mine. The, the wrongdoing in their life, it's there. But, but before you get quick to condemn, that soul that you're ready to condemn is mine. That's my soul. Before, before you write somebody off and before, before you declare a death sentence over your own life, God's saying, hang on a minute. That soul right there is mine. That soul is mine thou art mine you find it in scripture in Isaiah you find but now thus saith the Lord that created thee O Jacob and he that formed thee O Israel fear not for I have redeemed thee I have called thee by thy name thou art mine And then he said, when you pass through the waters, I didn't collaborate with the team this morning. That song was just there, and I'm glad it was. When you pass through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. I'll tell you why God said, in the middle of the mess that you're walking through, remember, you're mine. <laughs> you're mine. You're mine, so when you're walking through the water, you're mine. When you're passing through the rivers, you're mine. When, when it feels like you're just about to be overflown with that, with that swell of water that's going to carry you downstream, just, just remember this. You are mine. I, I wish I had about 500 name tags this morning, and I could just slap it on every single lapel, and it just said mine. And I'd like someone to be reminded, you're God's this morning. You're under his gaze. You're under his care. You're in his concern. You're in his mind. You're in his eye this morning. God knows right where you are. You are his this morning. Thou art mine. But you think God wants to claim me? Mm-hmm. You're his. In Isaiah, you find it again. He said, I have put my words in thy mouth. And I have covered thee with the shadow of mine hand. That I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth. And say unto Zion, thou art my people. You're mine. We just need to set the record straight. Before sin ever writes you off, God writes your name on his family tree. And you are his. No wonder there's power when you're baptized in his name. Because we no longer walk under our name. 
we get to be buried in waters of baptism, when we rise to walk in newness of life. And I'll just remind everybody, church family, you know it. Tank's ready. It's warm. Pastor, I don't know if you can see that thermometer or not, but I'm going to guess it's around 90.6 degrees. You don't even have to go through the ice this morning. You don't have to get in the cold river. I saw someone baptize someone near Leamington, Ontario. There was pictures on Facebook last night, and it was just, it looked cold. Somebody was committed. But when you go down, no matter if it's cold water, warm water, this water, that water, it don't matter. When you go down in his name, you rise to walk in newness of life. You get a brand new name and you don't have to walk under that old name, under that old sin any longer. You get to walk in newness of life. There's power when you're baptized in his name. You're, you're empowered when you're filled with his spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God lays claim to your life. He says, They are mine. I've buried them in waters of baptism. I put my name over their life. I washed them in my blood. I purchased this church with my, come on, with Calvary's flow. I, they are mine. They are mine. They're mine. If any man have the spirit of Christ, he is his. The scripture says that, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his, Romans 8. But I think the equal is true. The opposite is equally true. Let me say it that way. That if we have the spirit of Christ, we are his. If we have the spirit of Christ, then, then that spirit that fills us and that tongues that bubble out of our life when we are filled with his presence and we are filled with his power and we begin to speak in a language that we never learned before. When that spirit takes, come on, takes root in our lives, God says, they're mine. That's my child. That's mine right there. And, and I just came to remind somebody that we don't have to live under the stranglehold of sin any longer. We don't have to live with that epitaph written over our life. The soul that sins, it shall die because we get to walk in newness of life. We get to step into the life ebb flow of God's presence and power. We get to apply his name on our life. And what was, come on, what was certain death becomes certain life because of the power of God at work in our hearts how do you gain the right to call something yours well I don't know in the natural I just begin to think about it. I wrote these down you, you can call something yours when, when you purchase it you bought it you get to call something yours when you create it that's why we have patent offices and patents and all kinds of someone's telling me I should patent a couple of the inventions I think that they were joking. You're right, no one's ever done it before, but there's good reason for that. You get to call it yours. If you author it, you wrote the story, you wrote the song, you wrote it, it's yours. When you own it, if you've received it, it's yours. And I, I just like to remind everybody that every one of those elements that, that we get to say something is ours, God checks the box. 
He said, I, I bought it, your mind. I, I created you, your mind. You, I'm the author of you. I'm the author and the finisher of your faith, your mind. You, he, come on, we are owned by him. He is our God. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his. Come on, this morning I, I just came to remind somebody. There was just a strong pull in the Holy Ghost to preach this message today because somebody came doubting whose they are. You're only looking at who you are. You're only looking at what you've done. You're looking at the wrong that's been in your life. But I came to remind somebody today, it's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. He has said you are mine. I've been bought with a price. I've been purchased by blood. I am his. I'm his this morning. I'm his this morning. It's whose we are. Not who we are. Not who we wish we are. Not, not who we wish we were. Not who we want others to think that we are. It's who we are. We are his this morning. We're his this morning. We can come back to the music. So we know. We know through scripture that sin can make you a servant. Romans 6 said, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto, unrighte- uh, unto righteousness. Sin can make you a servant, but it can never make you a son. You see, that's the difference. That was the the problem with the prodigal. So many angles that we can look at that story from, but but Jesus starts it like this. He, He starts it this way. He said, a father had two sons. And sometimes we get quick to get into the storyline that we forget how Jesus starts it. He was, come on, er everything that he said had purpose and power attached to it. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger said, Father, give me the portion of the goods that fall to me. And he divided unto them his living and not many days after. The younger son, someone say son, gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. There wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there was a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want and he went he joined himself to a citizen of that country and that citizen sent that young man into the fields to feed swine. He would have filled his own belly with the husks that the swine did eat no man gave unto him but the Bible says this when he came to himself he said how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough in despair and I perish with hunger, I will arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. You see, the problem with the prodigal is that he thought that sin could steal his sonship. sin you see the prodigal came back defined by sin the prodigal came back and everybody they may not have been there they may not have got the email or the report but they knew when that young man headed back he defined his life by the sin that he had committed riotous living spent all that he had so before he ever made his mind up in the pig pen. He labeled himself. 
sin. I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I'm defined by what I've done. And he says, I'm no longer worthy. No more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he just, he lives under, under that weight of sin. He lives under that banner that defines him now. He, he once was a son, but, but now I, I'm hoping for servant. Now I'm, I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping for a place around some table somewhere. I, I'm hoping they'll let me back on the farm. I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping because, because this is my definition. This, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is where I'm at now. Now I was, but, but now I, it's, it's sin. It's, it's sin that's broken my life. It's sin that's stolen everything away. It's, it's sin that, that, that told me I had friends, but when the money was gone, they were too. And, and it's sin. It's sin that wrote my life off. It's sin that made me grovel and fight with pigs for the slop that was left from some man's table. It, it was sin that in this place. It was sin. No longer worthy to be called a son. You see, he thought that sin could steal his sonship. He came back. He looked like sin. He was on the road, and he was dirty. He was on the road on his way home, and his his cheeks are sticking out, and he doesn't have any extra. Got a little extra this morning. God's been good. Kathy has been too. But you've seen some people, haven't you? When sin's worked its way, you know that look. That look when sin has taken away every title they possessed and now that's just the tag they wear. Church, we better be ready because there are going to be some people coming through those doors. And they aren't going to be defined by anything popular or great or wonderful. But they're going to have that tag attached to their life. It's sin. They're going to have some stuff attached and, and they may smell a little bit like the prodigal because sin has a smell. They may not have it all together. But I want to remind somebody that when they come through those doors, don't read them by the label they've defined themselves by. Don't read them because of the title that they placed over their own life. Don't read them by the culture that's determined what they are. I I just came to remind somebody that's a self-given title because somebody thought that sin could define who they were and that sin was the title that they had to wear. But I just reminding the church today that's not the title we want them to have. Come on, that's why we're here. That's why we preach against sin. That's why we talk about that sin has a limitation. thought sin could steal his sonship the pig pen had done the number on him can I just remind us 
this morning. So many of us know the story. And the people that don't probably don't need to be told this. But CCC, we don't want to have welcome home. In huge block letters on that back wall. When people come through the doors to the welcome desk. And have an elder brother spirit. Saying, what are they doing here? We, come on. We don't need to have the idea that there's limitations or there's segregation or there's definitions that define whether or not you're a part of this church. I, I hope that before they ever get to the doors, they see it. Our church is your church. Why? Because this doesn't define who you are. It may define who you were, but it doesn't define who you are. Come on. It's only about what God can do in a life that's full of this. That we are here. It's only grace that lifted us up. It's only grace that turned us around. It's only blood that purchased us and bought us. You see, he had that part wrong. But it's interesting to me. He said, I'm not worthy. But all through his conversation, he says the word father. That part he got right. You see, he was under, under the intention that his father would not receive him because of this. God, would you help us be light in the midst of darkness? God, would you help us be a voice to shatter the lie of the enemy? The Bible says it. It's Jesus' words. It's in red. It says that he arose and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion. And he runs. He runs. He runs because you know the story in Deuteronomy 21, 18 verse 21, the son, the son that didn't respect his parents and the son in honor his mom and dad. That son, that son was to die at the city gate. So when the dad saw him, the dad said, I, I got to run. I got I to gotta make sure that my son's protected because people have a right to stone him. There's, there's a right for him to be under a heap of rock at the gate of the city. But, but he runs and he gets to him and he has passion on him. And he falls on his neck and he kisses him. And the son, he's, he's still living under this banner. He said, Father, I, read it, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. That's the, that's the work of the enemy in our world. Is he wants us to live under this definition because he knows that the wages of sin is death. And his ultimate goal is to bring death into every life. But God is saying, oh, hang on. Just, just read the rest of the story. Because it says, but, 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 but the father said to his servants. But the father stopped the whole procession of people that wanted to take his life. But the father said, wait, put the rock down because I'm not done yet. But the father said, that's, come on, that's not how I'm going to define my son. 
said, get, get, get the best robe and put it on. This is, this is not the best robe in the room. As a matter of fact, it's my uncle's suit that he left at my parents'. just so you know my uncle's about six foot two so we went by stitches stitch it stitch it that place stood up on that little block that poor little lady got down and I said how do you how do you do that all day long She's pinning up my cuff, and she didn't feel like talking because if she was like me, she'd be holding her breath, trying to get. Anyhow, long story short, this is just a suit that my uncle left at my mom and dad's and said, just give it to someone that needs it. I said, I need it. <laughs> Thanks, Uncle Len. But the father ran, and he puts the best robe. Nathan, come here for a minute. Catches, catches him by the gate and he covers him with the robe just in case anybody got it wrong. He didn't have it all together, but the robe covered him. You see, everyone else saw a coat, but the people saw a covering of the father. The covering of protection, the covering, the covering that, that kept the rocks at bay, the covering that, that kept, come on, the definition of sin was he was still defined by his sin, but the covering was on his life. He said, let me, let me tell you, I got a ring. I'm going to put it on your finger. And he gets his shoes. I know. Don't, yeah, don't. <laughs> but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Best robe. Put the ring on his hand, the shoes on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and let us be merry. For this, my son, my son, he's not defined. He's not defined by sin any longer. I love it in the English language. It's just one word. But, but now he's defined as my son. He's not defined by the banner of sin. He's defined by the banner of my son. So don't touch my son. Don't touch my child. Don't touch him. He's mine. Thou art mine. You're mine. You're not defined by this any longer. You're my son. You're my son. You can't do anything to step out of sonship. You can't do anything to get out of the escape of God's grace. You can't do anything to be beyond the reach of God's love. He loves you this morning. You're his son. You're his child. You're his. You're his. He's calling you son. Come on, the enemy wants, he wants us to live under that old banner. But God's saying, no, you're my son. You're my son. He's my son. 
He's my son. I know the soul that sins, it's going to die. But if you step into sonship, if you let my name be over your life, you don't have to live there any longer. You don't have to stay in that place of broken. You don't have to stay in that place of doubt. You don't have to stay in that place of uncertainty. You don't have to stay in that place outside of the house in the kingdom of God. You get to step into sonship this morning. We're his children. Would you stand together with me? Our problem, our problem is that we have become professionals at covering sin. And it causes us to wear the banner subconsciously in our mind. When God is saying, don't live there. When God's saying, I'm calling you. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you away. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, buddy. We'll take care of that. We get it all? All right. That's what I like to do with it, too. I like to get it all out of the way. Because we don't need to live under it. And when you read back through the story of the prodigal with that understanding that we are his children, the enemy wants to live so far from the truth, but God is calling us home this morning welcome home welcome home this morning Would someone just lift your hands because I believe that God is calling in the room today come on if we confess our sins he's faithful and just we don't have to cover our sins because we can live under the covering of the father if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness confession confession so important because it gets it out of here it gets it from out from undercover it's no longer in Achan's tent it's no longer the Babylonian garment it's no longer the gold and silver that's been set aside it's sin it's sin so get it out and confess it get rid of it because the soul that sins is dying but if you live under come on if you live under his covering and if we are come on we're so afraid to come out into God's grace we're so afraid to allow his blood to wash us God's saying come home welcome home He that converteth the sinner from the air of his ways shall save a soul from death. Isaiah said it, and I saved it for almost the last. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So now we don't have to live under the sentence of sin any longer. We don't have to live under the sentence, come on, the sentence of death any longer. We get to step under God's grace. We get to step into his, come on, his waters of baptism. We, we get to live because of his great grace the soul that sins can become the soul that wins if we're willing to confess would you lift hands one more time
if you felt that convicting presence of God, it's not to condemn. It's not about condemnation this morning. How, how, how do you define condemnation? How do you define conviction? Pastor Jack, I'll tell you how we define it. Conviction, conviction will put you on the road back to Father's house. Condemnation will keep you in the pig pen. Conviction, conviction will get you up and get you moving toward Father's house. Conviction will let you, let you endure a few stairs. Conviction will let you endure some people's misunderstandings about where you are right now. Conviction, conviction will let you step over that because they just don't know my heart. They don't know where I am right now. They, they don't understand. I can't expect them to. They're just looking at the past. But, but here's what I've come to say. Conviction will bring you to an altar. Conviction will bring you to a place of repentance. Conviction will bring you to a place where you say, I don't want to live the way that I'm living any longer. I, I'm turning it around. I'm, I'm going a new direction. I'm going a new way. Conviction, come on, come in. And let me tell you what God does. God puts all the elder brothers at, come on, at bay so you can get back to Father's house, so you can get back to a place of repentance, so you can get back to the place that God has called you to, so you can get back and be a son and a daughter of God. That is what conviction does this morning. So you understand why we pray that God would allow conviction to work. And I'm wondering if every head would be bowed and we've got room between the chairs so that people can make their way to an altar without impeding anybody. You can just slowly make your way. But I'm wondering, it may be some folks that have been a part of our church for 50 years. You may only be here for the last 50 minutes. But God's got a plan for your life. A plan that you can live. The soul that sins can win by the power of the grace of God. We're going to begin to sing. I'm going to open this area at the front for people. But I'm wondering if someone would just come and say, I'm going to put some things on the altar this morning. I'm going to lay some things down. Because I've been defined by sin for too long. I, I've, been defined, I've been living under my own condemnation, but I'm, I'm coming out. Come on, I'm coming back to Father's house this morning. And it's, it's not just that every person, that everybody got sin, everyone. Just look at your neighbors, everybody got sin. We, we all got it. We all got it and we got to deal with it. That's the key. When we deal with it, then we come in to that place that God has prepared for us. Would you join me in prayer? And People are going to come. As soon as I'm finished praying, they're going to begin to sing. But we got some folks ready to pray with you around the altar. Our ministry team is going to lay hands on you and pray that God would impart and empower and gift and do a work in your life. If you've got a need, see any of them, just say, I, this is what I'm praying about. Maybe it's confidential, maybe it's personal, maybe it's, maybe it's something that you want to share, but we're going to join together. This place is going to be a house of prayer for a moment. From the front to the back, let's pray together. Jesus, God, we have that strong pull in your presence for someone God, I don't know how many, but I know that you laid this on my heart. God, you redirected my intentions. You, you did that because somebody needed to hear what was said this morning. So, Father, I pray today that somebody would have the courage to repent and to walk. God, to walk in your direction. I it doesn't have to happen in this room, but Father, I'm praying that you would let this message of hope settle 
where doubt once was. Jesus, we are asking for your power to accomplish its purpose this morning. Reach like that father today. God, embrace. God, would you just let your love loose in the room this morning? In your name, we pray today. Someone just speak his name. We're going to begin to sing. I invite as many as can come. The highest.